It's not about you. It's all about him. See, I feel like often what we end up doing in our walk with Christ is we often put so much shame on ourselves and we make statements like this. I've just done so much that I am past the ability to be forgiven. I am past the ability to receive help. Now, can I, let me just go ahead and tell you, what you've done is you make it all about you. When you allow yourself to fall into that pit of shame, what you end up doing is saying this, you insult Jesus because you say that your problem and your sin is too big for Jesus to solve, too big for Jesus to heal, too big for Jesus to forgive. Trust me, we should never belittle our Jesus. Today, I had a a struggle as I was trying to figure out what the name of the sermon should be. And I thought about we could call it the fact of life because the fact of life is, is we will all fail. We will all fall flat on our face. But then the other name I thought about calling it was the God of second chances. Because if anybody needed a second chance in this moment, it was Peter. And my goodness, did he get one. Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends, closest disciples, but he made a major mistake. And when he needed to cling to Jesus more than ever, he ran away. See, this is not a new concept. This concept of running away from Jesus, running away when things get hard, has been foundational. We have seen this from the beginning of time. Great hymn writers once wrote, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That word prone is a very stern, strong word. We are prone. We are often going to find ourselves wandering away from the Lord. That is a part of our sinful nature. The question is, what do we do when we find ourselves away from the Lord? I think often what we end up doing is when we make mistakes in this walk with Christ, when we make mistakes in our walk with the Lord, we shame ourselves. We put ourselves in this pit of shame and despair We ridicule ourselves. We allow the enemy that tempted us into sin to now shame us for the very sin that he tempted us into. And let me tell you something. I feel like the church as a whole has made a mistake. The capital C Church, what we've ended up doing is throughout the years, we've tried to use shame to pull people out of sin. We've tried to use the shame as a way of trying to get them away from the shame them so much that they're in their sin that they'll pull out of the sin. I think that's a mistake. Shame is often the reason why they fell into the sin in the first place. Often, I think, because we are ashamed of things that we've done, we allow ourselves to sink further and further into sin. Young people, hear me. I counseled with a lot of young ladies in my time of youth ministry, and I remember a a common theme happening throughout the years. There was a group of young ladies that I just met with on a regular basis, and one thing that they would often say, and it was cohesive throughout each of them, was, I developed a reputation I did not deserve. I did not earn. But because people gave me that reputation, I thought, what's the point of trying to fight it? I might as well go ahead and live up to the simple reputation of what I've been given. See, I think often what ends up happening is this. When we fall into shame, shame keeps us there. But Jesus is not the savior of shame. Can I tell you that? I think that when we feel ashamed, when we are living in guilt and shame, I don't believe that that is from the Lord because in the Lord we find forgiveness. In the Lord we find freedom. And Jesus doesn't want us to be holding on to guilt for the rest of our lives because just like Jesus separates our sin from the east to the west, we are a new creation in Christ. And we don't need to look at the old self and the past mistakes that Jesus 
has already died to forgive. But somebody that struggled with that in a major way is Peter. If you guys will look, we're, we're going to jump in to the text. But before we do, we're going to go into Matthew 26. But just to set this up, Peter was one of the leaders. He was the leader of the disciples. When Jesus left, he became the pastor of the disciples. He led and did so many crazy good things. He was one of the best preachers to have ever existed. But he had so many failures. Do you remember when Peter got excited because Peter got excited a lot and Peter had a big mouth? He was, I guarantee you, Peter would have been put on some ADD medication if he was around today because this guy had some energy. This guy was intense. This guy loved the Lord. But he always wanted to be the best. A little bit of adventure inside of Peter. A little bit, really a lot of bit. A little bit of a competitive nature. And he was one of those guys that when he got passionate about something, he was all in. He was stubborn. He was headstrong. Some of you are raising or have raised a Peter-like child. You have raised a child that's stubborn. They're hard-headed. And can I tell you that, my goodness, you have got your work cut out for you. And here's the thing that I'm saying about that. When it comes to it, as difficult as it is, as hard as it is to raise a Peter, just like every personality, there is a beautiful place in the kingdom for a personality like Peter. That very same personality that is hard, hard to control, that personality that is hard to tame, that personality that doesn't always make sense and they want their way and they can't help but be in charge can be used in a mighty way in the kingdom. Often what I want for you to remember is that the very same characteristics that the enemy can use to pull you away from the Lord, the Lord can use to pull other people closer to the Lord. Christ redeems the personality of Peter. See, he sees Jesus walking on water one day and he has to jump out of the boat and run to Jesus while all of the other disciples sit on the boat. And not to mention, he, he does sink. And I find it just a little bit funny that after that, Jesus nicknames him the rock because he kerplunked. Next thing he does is not only does he jump out there, but then he refuses to wash, to let Jesus wash his feet. He also stands in the way of Jesus getting on the cross, and Jesus refers to him as Satan. He also gets so frustrated upon Jesus healing somebody that he becomes indignant. And then also this, he gets so confident because Jesus makes a statement that all of them will walk away from him. And he makes this statement that, Jesus, I will never turn my back on you. Jesus, if all of these other disciples leave, if all of the other disciples walk away, I will stand with you. I am the number one disciple. You never have to worry about me. Have all the confidence in the world that I myself will never let you down. And Jesus' response, he will deny me three times tonight. Think about that moment. Peter had this cocky moment, this real prideful moment where he proclaims with all the vigor, and I believe he believed it. What's the most embarrassing thing for somebody that has pride in their life to be called out in front of a group? He gets called out in front of all the other disciples. And Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. What does this do? I believe this challenged Peter. I believe this got Peter angry. And I think Peter literally thought he was going to prove Jesus wrong. We see in the garden where he actually swung a sword to lop off one of the man's ears that was coming to apprehend Jesus. He's trying to prove himself so much so 
But everything that Jesus says always happens the way that Jesus says it will. And in Matthew chapter 26, verse 69, we see this as Jesus is follow, as Peter's following Jesus towards the crucifixion day. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. You know, let me stop here. Do you realize how that's even an insult? Because not only is he denying that he doesn't even know him, but do you realize that before Peter was the disciple that got it right in identifying Jesus? Hey, who do you say that I am? Hey, you're the Savior, you're Messiah, you're the Son of God. But when things get hard, Jesus turns into just another man. Verse 73. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you two are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the sayings of Jesus. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. That Greek word, for bitterly is only used for this story in Matthew and in Luke. And the best way to say that was, is that Peter was a basket case. Peter was unconsolable. He was completely beaten up and broken down. He could not believe the man he became in that instance. How could this strong, stern anchor, the rock himself, crumble at the smallest opposition? It literally rocked Peter to his core. See, for years later, there were many rumors that went around this story. And two of the rumors, one of them was that every single night when Peter would hear a rooster crow, he would cry, weep bitterly. But then the other rumor is that every single time it hit the same hour that Peter denied Jesus, he would wake up and hit his knees and pray once again. Peter was affected by his failure. See, he was so firm that he would stand for Jesus, and then he firmly, firmly denied him. He firmly ran from him. He even swore, called curses upon himself. It's basically as if he were to say, I swear on my grandmother's grave kind of concept. He is getting intense, trying to prove that he does not know the Jesus that just hours before he said he would gladly die for. Can you imagine the embarrassment of Peter? What about the aftermath? Those few moments, I can only wonder if he had some feelings simply like Judas did. Remember, Judas denied Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus, but Judas didn't vow like Peter vowed. Judas didn't pretend to be as audaciously in love with Jesus like Peter did. Judas at least was a little bit more upfront. Peter, on the other hand, man, everybody thought he was supposed to be all in, and he falls on his face. I wonder if he even thought about doing some horrible, horrible things. I wonder if he even thought, is life even worth living? Can I even bear the embarrassment and the pain? What will my friend say? What will the disciples say? What will John say? Can I ever go public again? All of these things are swirling through his head as he constantly thinks about the words that he says. 
The question for today is this. How can we get back on track with the Lord? Well, there's three realizations we have to make. The first realization we have to make is we all fail. We all fail. Let's look at John chapter 21, verse 1. And we're going to see Jesus' response to the failure of Peter. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Now, the Sea of Tiberias is another way to say the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon P- Peter said to him, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So Peter has already dealt with the crucifixion of Christ. The resurrection has happened, but Peter is still in this horrible state. He's still in this horrible state of confusion. Should he even keep doing this? Is he even cut out for the job? Does Jesus still care for him in the way he used to? Is he still the rock that Jesus wants to build the church on? He doesn't know. And without Jesus there, Peter turns around and just goes back to what he's always done, what he's always known to do, which was fishing. Before Jesus, Peter ran his own fishing enterprise. He had other boats working for him. He knew about fishing. And here's the interesting thing. He doesn't ask the disciples to go with him. He says, I am going to go fishing. What ends up happening? Let's go with you. Leaders always lead, whether you want to or not. As Christians, we have been deemed leaders. And every single time you walk away from the Lord, can I go ahead and tell you, you will pull somebody with you. You will pull somebody in that direction. Every time you walk away from Jesus, every time you walk in his sin, can I go ahead and just warn you that you will lead others in the same path that you are going. It happens every single time. Nobody ever sins alone. Think about it. Can you think about a family with the dad falling into sin? Often the family follows. With a mom falling into sin, the family will follow. We always end up leading whether we mean to or not, whether we like it or not. Peter ends up pulling these other guys back to fishing. But here's what's funny about it. They didn't have a very successful fishing trip. These guys that were on the boats, most of them had a background in fishing, but not just in fishing. We know that they also knew the area well. They had fished that sea before. They knew how to catch fish in that water. But then also, we also have mentioned that they were fishing at the very best time to fish, which was at night, because it mentions that come the morning they were leaving the water. So all of the conditions, everything is adding up to they should have had a successful fishing trip, but they didn't. Why didn't they have success? Because when we're running from God, God doesn't give us the success that we would find within his will. God does not bless us when we're not following after him. And so what ends up happening is they're outside of what God wants them to do. They don't have any fish. But also I think God wanted to set this up for this moment. They've caught nothing. They went out in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? 
And they answered him, no. Now, this is funny because when he says, children, do you have any fish? He didn't respond to his disciples like this very often from what I've discovered. He didn't call them children. And the best interpretation of the word children that I found this week was boys still under construction. Boys still under construction. That is a powerful, powerful statement. These boys are still turning into men. They're still turning into true followers, disciples of Jesus. They're not there yet. He's still working on them. Verse 6, he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were able, they were not able to haul it because the quantity of fish. The disciples whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but a hundred yards off. Now, see, the reason why I think Simon looks over, or the reason why John looks over at Simon Peter, and he goes, this this is Jesus. That's Jesus. I know it's Jesus because he's done this before. Let's backtrack a little bit in Luke chapter 5. There's this moment in Luke chapter 5 where Jesus is early in his ministry and he's looking to call a disciple named Simon. And he goes to a man named Simon. And let's look at this verse 1. On one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. He asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and the nets were breaking. They signaled their partners and the others in the boat to come and help them. And they came back and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down and hear this at the feet of Jesus saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. See, it sounds really similar to this second fishing trip with Jesus. But what's interesting is the humility that Simon Peter has in the beginning. Do you see this? I believe that pride comes before a fall is pretty applicable here. Simon Peter starts off so humble. I am not worthy to have you around me. Verse 9, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. Mm. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed after them. So Jesus is painting this picture of the fishing trip. And he's going, do you remember when I called you? Do you see the similarities? Think back to what it was like when you were not a disciple of me and I called you to be a fisher of men, no longer a fisher of fish, Peter. Let go of what you're holding onto to your security and cling back to your calling. You're not so far away. You're you're not so deep into sin that I can't use you. But then we have this interesting moment in verse nine. Let's go back to the original text. When they got out on land, 
they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Now there's another flashback that Jesus is painting here. Fish and bread in the very same area is where Jesus fed the multitudes, where he multiplied fish and bread. And Peter was astonished at the person of Jesus. Peter was astonished at the miracle and the power of who Christ was. So you have this flashback of Peter being called, this flashback of the power of Jesus. But then you have this other moment. See, when I was reading the text this week, I couldn't help but get kind of stuck on they saw a charcoal fire. See, that's not consistent throughout all scripture. You don't hear of charcoal fires consistently, but you want to know where it is in again? When we go back to the account of Peter's denial, he was warming himself up by a charcoal fire. I think Jesus was trying to get that in his mind, perhaps, that, hey, you were called. I am Jesus. I am who I say I am. And you've messed up. But he's about to paint this picture of forgiveness. First thing we have to remember, everybody fails. And everyone needs forgiveness. When we look at verse 10 through 14, summarized We're just going back to say that he wants all the fish back on shore and so much fish that the net could tear, but they didn't. And we get back to verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Very powerful statement. Simon, son of John, what's the problem with this? He didn't call him Peter. His name was Peter. He had been referred to as Peter because Jesus named him Peter. He says, on this rock, I will build my church. But in this moment, he goes back to Simon, son of John. There's a lot of debate as to what this means. Some people think it means that Peter has been demoted somewhat, saying you're going to have to earn your spot back. I don't think that's really it. Because we see these charges that Jesus consistently is giving Peter after he asked, do you love me? I think what he's trying to do is tell Peter that he has a fresh start. That, hey, you are in need of forgiveness. You've messed up, but I still have a plan for you. We are going to do a do-over. But then he says this, do you love me more than these? Now, what are these? Young people, not what are those. What are these? You with me? See, when we talk about the these, there's three different concepts of what these might be. The first might be, do you love me more than the disciples? Do you love me more than you love the other disciples? I actually don't believe that was it. Now, one possible answer might be, do you love me more than these, referring to the boat, to the fish, than his security? That could be. Peter could have returned back to an ordinary life of fishing. Do you love me more than these? But I really don't think that's it. What I really think that Jesus is trying to ask him is, Peter, do you love me more than the disciples love me? Do you love me more than the other disciples love me? Because there was that night before my crucifixion where you told everybody that you loved me more than anybody else. When you wrote a check that your tush simply couldn't catch. Hear me, if you truly love me more than these, let me know. If you have a big audacious faith, if you have a gigantic faith like you say you do, let me know. See, Jesus is using a really strong word, agape. Do you love me? Do you have agape love for me? That is the 
biggest, most sacrificial form of love. That is the love that you would say if you were meaning to die for somebody, if you would be willing to give your own life for them. Do you agape me? Do you truly love me? Do you truly care about me more than anything else? That's a super hard question. That's a hurtful question because Peter simply can't answer it the way that he thinks Jesus wants him to. He can't say agape back, so he says another word. He says, Jesus, I'm fond of you. So he uses this word phileo, which is more of a brotherly love. It's a little bit of a step down. So Jesus asks again, instead of saying, do you love me more than these? He just asks, do you love me? Do you have agape love for me? To which Peter responds, Jesus, I'm fond of you. Then he finally asks it the way that Peter can answer. Peter, are you fond of me? Peter, do you phileo me? In which Peter responds, you know that I am fond of you. But with each one of these questions comes a different charge. See, we think that Jesus would be upset that he can only say he phileos. He doesn't fully sacrificial love him at this moment. The reason why Peter didn't say it is because he didn't know if he would show up in the time of a crisis. He didn't know if he would show up when things would get hard again. He was afraid that if he was put in the same situation again, he would fall flat on his face. See, Peter had this moment where he had to choose between fight or flight when things got hard. And he chose to run rather than to stay and fight for his Jesus like he said he would. He had this weak moment where he was not willing to sacrifice himself to be with his Jesus. But Jesus continuously charges him. He says, keep on tending my lambs, keep on shepherding my sheep, keep on tending my sheep. He says, hey, I'm the shepherd, but take care of the sheep. Love the little lambs, love the ones that are new to the faith, love the ones and take care of the ones that are mature in the faith. Provide for each one of those. Now that's an interesting charge to give to somebody who has just made such a big mistake. Peter doesn't think that he's worthy to handle that charge. I guarantee it. Peter doesn't think that he's equipped to do it. He thinks that he is beyond the point of being used. But I believe that Jesus looks at him and restores him. In verse 18, we say this. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. See, what Jesus knew was that yes, Peter had failed. And yes, Peter didn't wanna answer with that agape love, but eventually he could. Because Jesus tells Peter that, hey, right now you don't agape love me, but you will. Because one day you will be carried to a place you do not want to go. You will be put on a cross and you will be completely humbled because you will willingly give your life for me. You will stand up in front of crowds. You will stand in front of religious people. You will stand in front of Romans and Gentiles alike. And you will proclaim not just your love for me. You will proclaim your need for me. You will proclaim their need for me. You will tell them that if they do not receive me as Savior and Lord, they will not inherit eternal life. You will tell them that narrow is the gate that leads to the Lord. You will tell them all kinds of strong, strong things. 
and you will boldly proclaim it and eventually it will lead to your death which you will accept but you will humbly accept it because when they place you on a cross you will ask them to put you upside down because you do not feel worthy to be crucified in the way that I was crucified and there you will end your life humble and having true agape love for me here's what I need you to recognize Jesus doesn't see you where you are. Jesus also sees where you're going. And Jesus is gonna put things in your life and call you to do things that you don't feel like you're ready for. But he knows that one day you will be. Hear me, humbly follow after Jesus. The pride comes before the fall. And when we accept humility and we prepare our hearts for what is next, my goodness, we have been forgiven. We have been redeemed. We see the story of Peter. He is a man who desperately failed, desperately needed forgiveness, and in turn was given a prominent new future. Do not let the enemy shame you when Christ has redeemed you. What people want to tell you is that you're a loser when Jesus calls you mine. People want to call you a failure when Jesus calls you mine. People want to call you a coward when Jesus calls you mine. People want to call you worthless when Jesus calls you mine. Hear me, the title we hold on to is that we belong to Jesus. Hear me, if you are in this room and you do not have a relationship with our Savior, please have boldness and have a willingness to come talk to me. Come talk to Brother Jeremy. Talk to somebody in this room that will share with you about the love of Jesus and the forgiveness that is offered. Church, the altar will be open in a moment if you need to come and pray, if you need to talk to me about baptism, salvation, joining the church, or anything in between. Please, we're here for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to make much of you. God, I pray that as we pursue you, God, we will have the boldness to make a difference for you. God, I pray we recognize that we're always leading, whether we mean to or not. And I pray that we will boldly and humbly pursue you so that others will do the same. God, I pray that you'll help us to let go of our mistakes and let go of our past because you have separated them from us and help us to cling to the cross. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray, amen.